when as we sang, yes, Lord, our eyes are upon you. Speak to us, O Lord. We will obey. You have always brought us through. Always brought us through, Lord. Speak to us. Give us hearing ears once again. And always. Understanding mind. Believing heart. The will that obeys. And the best of Christ will be our portion. For your word says if you are willing and obedient. You will eat the best of the land. You are our provision. You are our position. You are our reward. You are our life. Help us to hear, Lord. Every day of our life. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Even as we go through, as we go through these days, I think today is the 10th day, we are in the uh, 12th meeting maybe, yeah, 20th meeting, or 22nd, 23rd, and uh, you go to a theater, you pay through your nose for two hours of junk, this is free, and you get five hours of worship and word. Okay, you don't have to pay anything, and if you look at the screen, there is no account number coming at the end. Okay, so absolutely enjoy yourself, sit back. Now, by now, you should have got to the discipline of having it set everything, your dinner, probably had your dinner early, so that the kids don't have to have dinner at 10, but they can straight away go to sleep after hearing the word. So, by now, our discipline should be set in 10 days. Okay, but continuing... Like now we continue in a process like uh, I, would, I, would, I would probably would be giving you the larger picture and Pastor Vijay would go into the, the smaller picture in detail and we are working together. When you look at these things that are happening and will continue to happen, uh, you call it pandemic or you call it judgments of God and we will see that in the Bible these things are called judgments. But I want you also to look as God's children, all those who are watching God's children. Uh, I don't think others will have the strength to endure two hours of teaching. But if you turn with me to look uh, to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 and 6, I want God's children to, to see differently. Because it really makes a difference. If you look at something that is happening and the world sees it one way, we see it a different way. You have forgotten the Exhortation which speaks to you as to sons, daughters. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son he receives. So, so, see, the nature of God never changes. God is good all the time. He's holy, he's righteous, he's good, and when he spanks the daylights out of us also, he doesn't change. He's loving. So, whom the Lord loves, scripture says in verse 6, he chastens. And if he accepts us as a son or a daughter, what does he do? He scourges every son he receives. That's what he does. So, you have to see this 
in that light. And also in verse 11, the purpose behind it in 12.11, God shows us the purpose. The purpose is, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, like right now. The chastening is not joyful at all around the world. No, it's really, really terrifying and, you know. Really, really terrifying to the world and even to the God's people. But what, what does verse 11 says? No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, in these 10 days, in these 20 days, in these 30 days, we do not know how long it is. <coughs> Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Not automatically but to those who have been trained by it. There was ten judgments over, over Egypt, and three over both Israel and Egypt. And Israel should have been trained by it. But you know the judgments, the discipline of God, they saw it with their own eyes, but the 40 years in the wilderness saw, they did not, they were not trained by it. So they, they did not bring forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness by it. But their children who walked with them and saw it all, the judgments over Israel in the desert also, they came out and they brought forth, they enjoyed the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's why scripture says, God gave them rest from all their enemies. It's there in the book of Joshua. So it's not that we go through something, we need to see God's hand there. God's purpose there and be trained by it and it's due season it will bring forth. And I am praying for the church during this season. You will learn above all the discipline of hearing, the discipline of listening, the discipline of able to listen to the word for two hours for those who are not and be trained by it and have a spiritual discipline at the end of it which will bring forth an incredible harvest. So we will go today to Matthew chapter 24 and we will read from verse 3 to 13. Again, signs of the last days. Matthew 24. Now we sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. The disciples are coming to him. These are his disciples whom he has trained all these years and they have walked with him, learned of him. But the first warning given to the disciples, it's interesting, it's not to the crowd or the Pharisees, to the disciples is, take heed, no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, you will see and see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to the tribulation to kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate you. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So there is so many things that are going to happen which will affect people outside and inside. And everything God says, the man of God has to endure all of this. The the outward on all the nations and the, the system and the earth, the Things that will happen, 
then what it will effect it will happen upon the society lawlessness increasing love of many and what will happen personally people betraying each other within the church within families so you are going to be tormented outside and inside and deception like no man's business but the man of god has to endure it all and god has given a warning there he who endures to the end will be saved so when we go through this please remember god is the first thing god is warning us see that you endured so one of the lessons we are teaching you in this days of uh, of uh, lockdown is to endure the word learn at least to endure teaching because why the church is in a crisis is you endured you didn't have to endure it it was more entertainment than actual teaching Now God is saying endure learn to sit and listen learn this practice but the first thing you will see in verse 4 first thing you have to endure you and I have to endure is deception 4 and 5 will see endure deception for many will come it's not just a few many saturated many will come and in verse 11 he will say verse 11 Matthew 24 verse 11 he will say the source of deception many false prophets will arise prophetic voices that's what today's world loves prophetic voices i don't have to endure all this i don't have to wait and listen i don't have to study the scripture i don't have to spend time fasting and pray just prophesy into my life and many prophets will come and deceive many In verse 23 and 24 they will go beyond deception beyond prophesy verse 23 and 24 scripture says for if anyone says three times he wants of a deception that's the one he wants most if anyone says to you look here is a christ or there do not believe it for false christ false prophets will arise show great signs and wonders to deceive so it's not only they will prophesy it will be accompanied with signs and wonders if possible to deceive even the very elect of god if you go to second thessalonians chapter 2 a portion we had looked some time back in verse 9 and 10 god will say there when this happens the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of satan with all power signs and lying wonders so he will he will preach he will teach he will prophesy accompanied by signs and wonders and all unrighteous deception at the core of it is what it deception leading people to unrighteousness okay remember there is a righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone faith and faith alone so the purpose of the deception is to take us into unrighteous among whom among those who perish because of one thing they did not receive the love of truth that they may be saved so there is teaching or prophesying there are signs and wonders if you go to mark chapter 16 and verse 22 in the authentic church the real uh, sorry 16 and verse 20 in the real church also there is signs and wonders but this is the disciples of jesus christ they went out and preached everywhere the lord working through them and confirming the word through accompanying signs so that they are preaching the word the gospel the true gospel and god is accompanying them 
and he's also confirming its signs and wonders. So remember, both ministries, there could be signs and wonders. What differentiates is the teaching. One teaching will lead you to unrighteousness. One teaching will lead to righteousness. And there is only one righteousness that is acceptable before God. There is a righteousness that is apart from the law. A righteousness that is only from God. That is from faith unto faith. So be very, 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 very. We have the discernment. That is why if you don't understand the truth, how God works, how the kingdom works, even the elect themselves can be deceived. That's what the Bible says. That is why it's important to learn the truth. So endure, brothers and sisters, and my little children, I don't have to tell them. They are so well trained, the little ones in the church. They will happily end it. I don't think they call it even enduring. They'll love it. Okay? So let me ask you this question. All that is happening around the world has been prophesied for years. It's all there, Old and New Testament. And why is there so much confusion in Christendom? The reason is because of the, the multitude of false teachers and prophets. That's where the confusion. If all the teaching and the prophecy was according to what the word of God said, everybody would know and see what is happening. Everybody's prayers would be same. There would be no panic within the church or confusion within the church. Okay, Please remember this thing. For every true teacher... In the word of God, there will be so many false teachers. Look at the pictures. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 19. 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 19. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asera who eat at Jezebel's table. Look at the ratio. For one true servant of God there, there are 850 false prophets. Okay? Meaning, if there are 850 channels broadcasting lies, there is one channel that broadcasting the truth. How will you tune it and find it? How will you know the wavelength unless you are constantly seeking truth and have surrendered your life to Christ? How will you find it? How will you find it? In one click, when you are searching for something on internet, the results are like 200 million, 3 million results. How do you know which is true? You need to realize what is happening. The pictures are given in the word of God. For one true man, Elijah, there are 850 false prophets. If you come to verse 40 of that same chapter, verse 40, what you will see at the end of that context, Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. Elijah brought them to the brook of Kishon and executed them there. So all of them were executed. Okay, So that's what we have to do. As the word of God keeps on coming, what are we doing is that we are taking all the lies that have gone in and we were born with and came with and grew up with. We are destroying them one by one. Don't leave them alive. Execute them. Execute them. But you need to realize this is the time of King Ahab. 850 prophets of Baal has been destroyed. If you come to chapter 22, 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 5 and 6, a little later, just a little later, a few years later, now Ahab is with uh, Jehoshaphat, okay, the king of Judah and the king of Israel. So they're sitting together and they're planning something. Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. And the king of Israel gathered prophets about how many? How many? You see they had killed 850 and they thought they're all finished. 
But the problem with false prophets is they multiply like rabbits. To birth a true prophet, it takes God years in the wilderness. But false prophets just multiply and come out like that. To get a John the Baptist out, God had to shut him up in the wilderness. To get Moses out, God had to shut him up for 40 years in the wilderness. For an Elisha to arise, he had to follow with nobody even knowing who he is and what his purpose is. They only recognized him as a servant of Elijah. Nobody knew him. Nobody probably even knew his name. And then he came out and they recognized the spirit of Elijah was resting upon him. And his own son came out only after 30 years. So prophets of God do not arise just like that of a factory line. They don't come out. But the prophets of Baal come out of the factory line. Like nobody's business, they will come out. One after one another. And if you notice them, they're all similar. They're all similar. They dress similar, they act similar, they talk similar, and they all, no, and they want the light on them. Another 400. How many? 400 of them are there. And all of them said the same thing. Go up for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And verse 7 and 8. But one man of God, that is Jehoshaphat, has experience of God. Okay? So he has a little doubt. Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may, and he knew there is something, something is smelling in the land of Denmark here. Okay? Something is smelling. That's from Hamlet. Okay? Something is smelling over here. Something is not kosher over here. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man. One man. I don't know, because Elijah and Elisha and all have just disappeared. They are in incognito somewhere being trained and mentored. So they are not to be found. Okay, This is what prophets will do. Sometimes they just disappear. Okay, They are not moved by the plight of the world. They are moved by the voice of God. This is what we need to understand. We think prophets are all moved by the plight of the world. No, they are not moved. That is secondary. They are moved by God. If God says go and shut down, they will shut down. People may be dying outside. They will not move until God tells them to move. The drought was there, the famine was there, Israel was in this thing. Nobody saw Elijah. He was just shut up by God. Because he didn't hear from God to me. Only when God told him, now go to King Ahab, he came out and went. Okay, please understand men of God in the Bible, how they function. Because we need to get these things. We are not moved. Of course, we have compassion and all that. We are not more compassionate than Jesus. Okay, we have to wait because he's the one who has real compassion, and the real power. So when we hear from him and move, then the work of God will be not only the rain and the blessing, the repentance of the people, the destruction of evil, all will happen in one line. The fire comes, people repent. The, 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 the demonic is destroyed. Destroyed and the rain comes. But we, what will we do? We will not have no fire, nor the destruction of evil. We will just pour rain over people. That's the problem with false prophets. What are they doing? Just pouring blessings over people. There is neither repentance, nor there is destruction of evil. But when men of God wait and hear from God, there is a process in which God leads his people. There is a fire that falls. People turn back to God. And there is a destruction of sin and evil and repentance, deep repentance over there in the valley of Brook of Kishon. And then you will see rain will come. But even when the rain comes, there are some people who will take the blessings and never changes. That is Ahab. Okay, is there not one? And he says, yes, there is one. So the Bible is very, 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 very clear. Beware of deception. Over and over and over and over God wants. And all my brothers who are used to watching 
Christian TV channels. 5 to 6, one slot. 6, 7 to 6 to 7, another slot. Uh, it's 8 to 7 to 8, another slot. 9 to 8, this thing. And you're watching like 10 programs or 12 programs a day because it's quarantine. And 11 of them sound the same. One sounds different. Listen to that man. The one who's different. There is something wonky when everybody speaks the same thing. Okay, Something wonky. Unless all of them are speaking the truth and they are able to prove it with scripture. This is what God is saying. I'm not saying that all of them, God, all of them cannot speak the truth. But you have to be very, very, very wise. Okay, little wise when you hear this prophetic. In Second Peter chapter two and verse one, Peter in his final epistle also, you will see new covenant, old covenant, nothing has changed. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Just be very careful. False prophets, false teachers, they will very quietly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on them swift destruction. That's what they do. They will use the name of the Lord. But if you listen to the teaching, the teaching is a, is a denial of the work of the Lord. That's the difference. Okay, Be very, very careful. And what is their motivation? What motivates them? That's how you distinguish. Verse 3. Look at how he teaches. Motivation. Verse 3. Yeah, 2, 3. Chapter 2. Same, th- same chapter. Verse 3. Okay. Because we have been talking about faith. We are talking about a life of faith. The just shall live by faith. Walk by faith. And we are looking at all those things that kill faith. By covetousness, they will exploit you. At the core of their heart, it is money. They are money-driven ministries. They are money-driven. And they will always advertise the great need. The great work they do and the great need they have. They were, they were very smart, very wise. Okay, When Moses had this great need of feeding 600,000 people and women and children and cattle and flocks and everything, all he had to ask was God because God led him. God kept on providing for him all those 40 years. No ministry, no church has ever had to meet a need like that. Okay, So with deceptive words, very deceiving words, they will deceive you, but their motivation is what? Greed. And an example is given from the Old Testament, chapter 2 and verse 15. A very powerful example from the Old Testament is given. They have forsaken the right way. What is the right way? The way of righteousness, the way of faith. Have gone astray. And whose way are they following? They are following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So he also was a prophet. But he was willing to sell his prophecy to the highest bidder. He was a man who was willing. He was for sale. He was a prophet for sale. There are so many like that. Worship teams for sale, teachers for sale, pastors for sale, prophets for sale, apostles for sale, all. And they are willing. They are, they are available for the highest bidder. And you have to be very, very careful. Balaam is kept over there. Okay, Balaam is kept over there. He is put to us as a person, as a personal example. He was hired by a Gentile king called Balak to actually curse God's people. God's people. And the Satan has hired so many people. They don't come and curse directly, but they will bring secretive uh, 
destructive heresies. In Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, what will happen? Verse 2. Many will follow their destructive ways. Destructive. And because from the way of truth will be blasphemed. That's what has happened. People like mock Christianity in the Western world when they look at it. And many, 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 you know, many will follow the way, their destructive ways. So be very, very careful. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart from what? Covetousness. You cannot serve God and man. You see, one of the best ways is that you cannot stop these teachers from coming. They will keep on coming. They will pop out like, you know, that, uh, like I said, like these insects that come before the rain come. They will keep on popping out. But remember their motivation. If you do not have that in your heart, their words cannot appeal to you. And why does God allow all this? Scripture says God allows. Why does he allow? He allows this delusion to take over because people did not receive the love of truth. So you need to realize God allows false prophets. It's a judgment upon our own hearts. Is your heart really sanctified, sold out to me? In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus said it very, very clearly. Very, very clearly he said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will love, will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon we translate as money, but basically it means gain. Mammon is a Suryak word, which means what profits you, yourself, your body, yourself. Okay? Mammon, it's not a Latin or a Hebrew or a Greek word. If I'm under, if my memory is right, it's a Suryak word. Mammon, which means gain. Okay? So you can't serve God and money. Balaam is trying to do both. Serve God and money. Ultimately, he will prophesy according to money. But God controls his mouth and he prophesies. So his heart is for money, but his mouth opens and he realizes he has no control over his tongue. But you know, he will get judged because God changes his words, but God doesn't change his heart. So please, please, please remember this. Deal it the way Jesus did. Deal with money the way Jesus taught us. Luke 16 itself and verse 9, sorry. Um, Luke 16 verse 9. Okay. I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon. And when they fail, they may receive you to an everlasting home. He says, in this life, you will need money, you will get money. It's unrighteous. Don't serve money. But use money to serve God. Now, like you remember the old examples I said, no? When the day of rapture takes place, when we go up, we should go upside down. So if there are any coins left in our pocket, it should drop. Okay, nothing left, Lord. By the time I go, I have to see, I have to see that I have spent everything for you and your people, for your kingdom. Okay, mammon is unrighteous. But the purpose you are using it is, it's a righteous purpose so that when you go up there, you will receive an eternal reward. So this is how we use mammon. This is how we use mammon. Mammon is unrighteous, but it can be used for righteous purpose. And that's the problem with the rich man. He said, you are not rich towards God. You hold it up for yourself. So you fool, you're going to die today. Okay, so be faithful in this one area, this one major area. That's why God has done shut down the economy. The people are even scared to take notes by thinking the virus will come through the notes. 
All the people who are doing this thing, this thing and all, no one wants the note anymore. God is telling them, really, literally. Okay, so please understand deception. Because the most precious gift you and I have received from God is the gift of faith. Okay? Salvation. Post-salvation, I'm talking about. Salvation happens through faith. But the greatest gift God has given us is the gift of faith. It is through that gift we access everything from God. Everything from God. You talk about anything you receive from God, it is accessed by faith. And it is called grace. Grace is like a huge ocean. Whether it is love or mercy or kindness or resources or healing or deliver, you name it, it all comes through faith. And God has given us this greatest gift like what is called faith. And faith, God says, is, is supposed to be used to access grace. And in the grace of God, everything is met. The preachers or false preachers understand faith very well. But they will take faith instead of accessing grace. They will say access mammon. Access mammon. They are using the same principles of faith and say name it, claim it, and have it. So suddenly you realize grace has become mammon. And grace actually manifests itself in everything. All are manifestations of grace. Even the requirement, money which you need. Remember, Jesus had to pay taxes. They came and asked him and he said, he answered. And then he told Peter, Let, we need, let's, let's give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. He said, you go over there. There is a fish. Put your line in. Get it. There is enough money in its mouth. So he used, that was grace providing what he needed. So we will see, all God may need, you may, may need actually cash, hard cash. To pay for something. But there is a God who will provide for it. Okay? You are not substituting mammon for grace. It's the grace of God that should provide you for that. Okay? Please remember. Why do people want money? The deception. Why does people want money? Because money is the access to this world. The rich world. Anything you want to get done in the world, you need money. Okay? Money. You know, I'm not repeating it, but in US they say money talks and everything walks. Okay, that's why God tells to the rich through Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, First Timothy, chapter six, verse nine and ten. Okay, First Timothy, chapter six, verse nine and ten. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. And a snare, the fowler's snare. Okay, we talk about Psalm 91 and it talks about the fowler. The fowler is the devil. The devil's snare is there. What does he cause you through this preaching? He causes the desire to be rich. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Perdition means eternal perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Okay? This is the truth. Okay? So you know when the devil came, devil came and tempted Jesus. Because what does the world have? The world has glory and pleasure. 
ultimately glory in a name glory in numbers glory in achievements glory 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 and then the world offers a lot of pleasures and you can access this both with money both with money okay access this both with money so the world offers glory and pleasure god also offers glory and pleasures forevermore one is eternal the other is temporary if you read the book of corinthians as stars differ from glory to glory so will the saints differ that is for eternity who are these superstars today mega stars superstars most of them if they i think will end up in hell okay see heaven is always the same size but scripture says hell has enlarged itself and those who are mighty on earth are coming down superstars mega stars emperors kings all these people are coming down okay what did they seek they lived a life seeking glory and pleasure but god's people lived a life seeking eternal glory eternal pleasures so please need to understand get this very 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 clear the devil is a imitator he has created a false world imitating god's world but here everything is temporal and temporary okay temporal and temporary and people don't even realize even realize that i mean if we used our common sense we would realize it any any man you don't even have to be godly or no god the bible tells us in 1 john the world, you don't have to turn the world and its desires pass away isn't it true have you seen a 80 man year old man uh, eating like he wants to eat do you see a 90 year old man who pursued sex having sex Do you see the glory of those actors when they were young and what they look like today? You look at anything connected with earthly glory it is right before your eyes people still pursue it it's passing away passing away you look at anything connected with pleasure or glory in this world right before our eyes we see it passing away and even in ourselves passing away so god says seek what is eternal the devil will deceive you by creating this false world which is absolutely false and cause us to pursue it and then we look at that glory and we look at that pleasure you realize you know what you want money so even if you don't have money you can be trapped by this inside that was that telugu thing whatever nari whatever this thing okay can be trapped with it inside only thing you didn't have money but you are no different than the other so don't think the poor man sitting in his hut is not desiring glory and pleasure that is why in india even the fellow sitting in the hut when his proposal for his daughter comes you last what cost he has been trodden in 5000 year down to the bottom of the rung but he knows there is one below him also are you from that because it doesn't attach my glory this is the deception about it okay it's a very very subtle deception remember balaam is mentioned three times in the new testament a fraud a fraud in the old testament 
is mentioned three times in the New Testament as a stark warning. Like Jesus mentioning, though her name is not mentioned, he brings her up and says, remember Lord's wife. How many wives are there in the Bible? We don't know Abel's wife, whether he was married. We don't know Cain's wife. We don't know Seth's wife. We don't know Isha. We don't know the wives of all these people. There. We don't even know Ezekiel's wife. But he said, remember Lord's wife. It's a stark example standing over there. So Balaam is mentioned three times. In Jude 1 and verse 11, Jude 1 and verse 11, scripture says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. The way of Cain is a way of rebellion. Run greedily the error of Balaam for profit. When they hear this preaching of gain, people run into it because it meets the desires, the lust. Your flesh loves it. It offers you a life which is carefree. Health, wealth, no suffering. And then they will put you, remember you are the son of a king. But they forget to tell you how the king, when he walked, came here, walked among us. That they won't tell you. They will use scriptures very nicely. He became rich, he became poor, so that you should be rich. All that. Okay. All that they will use. They are very good. Don't underestimate the wisdom of the serpent. That's the problem. You need to be as wise as the serpent. The serpent knows scripture very, very well. And people's, God's people do not know scripture. Okay, so you have to be, I thank God he, he's, when I got saved, I had no church, I had nobody, but God mentored me through books. Like, I'm going into a country, I have no church, and there's a tiny little bookstall at the gateway of that country, I go into it, and there's some old dusty books, nobody has bought it for years, and I go pick it up, watch many, Richard Wombrand, Two rupees, three rupees. I pick all these books and then for the next two years, this is what framed my thinking. Then I come here and I am blasted with all these prosperity preachers, but it wouldn't move me. Because God in his mercy had framed me with people who were true servants of God. All true servants of God. Okay, Martin Lloyd Jones. My daily readings was Martin Lloyd Jones and Table in Wilderness, the Watchman name. Imagine a new believer who hardly knew what scripture was. Like going to Sunday school and reading Watchman name. And it was supernaturally by God. It was entirely a work of God. So it freed me so that I was very, 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 very careful about it. Okay. So they will tell you the error of Balaam for profit. Okay. For profit, be very, 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 very careful. They will, they will lead you to a lifestyle. Revelation 2.14. Revelation 2.14. But a few things against you because you have there who hold the doctrine of Balaam. <clears throat> doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual Morality. Money. Idolatry. Licentious living. It goes together. It goes together. If you don't have money, see this was the trap Balaam set before Israel. Before going, he couldn't curse them because God controlled his tongue. He gave a little plot advice to Pastor Vijay Priest about invite them, release the women on them, and before you knew, Israel was gone. 
If you turn to Second Peter, chapter two, verse fifteen. Fifteen onwards, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And further down, he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Look at it, the madness of the prophet, the voice, words used. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of Darkness, for that's what I was telling a couple of days back. The servants of God who betrayed their mandate and deceived God's people. The judgment they receive will be worse than anybody else. And verse 18, for when they speak great, they speak great, well, eloquent they are, incredibly eloquent. But actually if you listen to very carefully, there is no scripture. That means it's empty. It's empty. They allure or attract through the lust of the flesh. flesh. You know very well what's the lust of the flesh. They allure you. How easy it is not to go to the bank, stand outside and say, I believe the wealth of the wicked is kept for the righteous. Let there be a transference from this account to my account. How easy it is. And you think that poor Hindu or the Muslim who must have been a very righteous, hard-working man, who worked his eight hours a day shift, he put some money in the bank and you fellow lazing out on the road is asking his money to be shifted into your account. And you think our God is an unrighteous God? No. It's the kind of junk they talk about. Talk about. They make our God look like Belial. Okay? That's how they make him look like. And then, words, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. By whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Okay. They promise liberty. What is the liberty? Liberty from the world. You are free. That's the liberty of salvation. You are saved. I said you cannot be married to the world and Christ at the same time. So you are saved from the world. So they promise you liberty, but actually the liberty is bondage. You go back to the world and you are double into bondage than before. Okay? If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. That's how you have to be very careful. They will take you back to the world. The problem is once you have received wrong doctrine, it is very difficult to handle those people. Very, very difficult. That's why I always look back and say, Lord, supernaturally, how did you, how did you protect me? Because if I had got the wrong thing in, Anybody who would have tried to mentor me and teach me would have struggled to change my thinking. The wrong thing has gone in. But I was kept. I was kept alive. I was kept alive. No, he just protected me. And you need to realize this is what happens. So they take them. They preach this, what appeals to their flesh. They go into the way of Balaam. But you need to cover it, right? Because we are new covenant believers. We are not old covenant believers. You have a life that has gone into the works of the flesh. So in Jude chapter 1 and verse 4, how do they cover it? For certain men, how have they come? Crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men. What do they do? They turn the grace of our God. Okay. They also speak grace. 
different kinds of grace, radical grace and whatever grace. They talk about grace, 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 grace. But when, see, what are they using grace? They're using grace to cover the lifestyle. This is the age of grace. So we need to live like kings, eat like kings, dress like kings, travel like kings. This is the age of grace. And some of them you will see in Africa and all, no, getting a, what I call, the bodyguards, heads of states, giving them a, what you call it, what you call that, parade, everything, when they bring into the stadium and all. Have you seen that? Yeah, huh? yeah. Ah, that, uh, I forgot that name. What kind of honor? God of honor and all. These are prophets of Christ getting God of honor. Jesus also got a guard of honor. He was beaten back and blue and led down the streets by the Roman soldiers. That was his guard of honor. Okay. And if somebody were to give you a guard of honor, you should tear your clothes apart like Paul and all did. Man, we are just men like you. What are you doing to us? They were willing to give them a guard of honor. You have to look at it. And people don't even, because they have been already been framed with false doctrine. And, you know, when... They read Bible, they also read it with those eyes. And then they cover it all with what? Grace. So when people fall and fall and fall and fall, they say, it's okay, God understands. God understands. And they hide the truth, the real truth about grace. What is the real truth about grace? Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. This is the truth about grace. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. They won't, they actually use grace to sanction sin. While the Bible says sin, grace gives you victory over sin. They don't teach what grace teaches. Okay, so they hide. If you come to first Timothy chapter six, verses six to eight, God tells about the life of the new covenant. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay, mammon means what? Gain. But what is gained for the servant of God, the children of God? Godliness with contentment is a great, is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. And verse 8, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. How did they change this gospel? I'm not saying that God will not give you more. Yes, but God will give you whatever you and I need for our specific calling and task in this world. What we need, he will give it to us. If you need a thousand rupees or say ten thousand rupees for God's purpose in your life, he will give you. If you need ten million for God's purpose, he will give you that too. But you don't have to appeal to that. You don't have to appeal to I don't know how much uh, Moses, if you took a calculate in modern terms, needed for each day of his ministry. But every day it came. He never asked the people. The only ones he asked the people is because God asked them to ask the people to give something for the for the tabernacle. Other than that, he never asked anything from the people. Never made an appeal. Okay. And scripture says, God touched the hearts of the people that they gave freely. And servants of God who are listening have to learn to get into your closet and appeal to God for your needs. And every child of God has to learn to go to God and say, Daddy, I need this. And let him provide it in whichever ways. He may touch the hearts of people. But this is the way. You have a father in heaven. And like it happens in your house, your child comes to you. 
It doesn't send a letter to all your friends. Or takes your phone and send a WhatsApp on a group, your father's WhatsApp group and says, you know what, I need money, will you please send it? They don't do that. They come to you. And God says, why don't you come to me? This is how deception works. I said earlier, yesterday, day for yesterday, the Gentiles are blinded by the God of this world. That is flesh. The Jews have a veil over their eyes. Therefore, they can see the shadow, but they can never see the substance. But it's a substance that gives life. Shadow doesn't give. Shadow may make you may feel cool, but there's no life in the shadow. Life is in the substance. Let me tell you, give you an example. Okay? Now I am here, there is lime juice here in the cup and there is shadow also. Can I drink from the shadow? Is there life in the shadow? No, that life is in this. If I want to quench my thirst, there is no life in the shadow. The life is in the substance. Okay? Life is in the substance. Please understand this. Please understand this. That's why God wants, Jesus wants his own disciples. See, we'll always ask this question. Why didn't Jesus want uh, Judas? He knew he was stealing. He knew he was following him for money. And he knew he was taking them. Why didn't he? Let me ask you this question. If Jesus is teaching the crowds, the Pharisees, but Jesus is living his life before the disciples, does he have to say? It's like, that's the first question the disciples ask, right? When they start following him, where do you stay? He says, come and see. When they came and stayed with him that night, they looked at his life, they went out and said, this is the Messiah. Judas has walked with him all these years. He's seen his life. Does he have to tell him? Does he have to tell him? No. So I will explain it again to you guys know, but I'll explain it to the people. Like John, the gospel according to John goes all the way till chapter 13. But in chapter 13 is the last Days of Jesus' life. The last, let's put it in days, hours of his life. The last supper. Okay, after that, so you have chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and then by 17, he goes arrested and it is death. So in chapter 13, they are all sitting together and they are all having their last supper. And Jesus talks about betrayal. Then he does one thing. They ask this question. John is the one who asks the question. He's the one who is closest to Jesus. Jesus dips Go to chapter uh, 13. Okay, chapter 13. 13 to 17, okay, is this. Chapter 13 is the Last Supper. Verse 27. 13 and verse 27. Now, after the piece of bread, Scripture says Satan entered him. This is he. Jesus. This is uh, Judas's Last Supper, literally. After all this teaching, and after everything, he's sitting there, he dips the bread and gives it to him. He takes it, and what does scripture say? Satan entered it. And Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. If you come to verse 30, scripture says, 3-0. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Satan entered, he went out, and it is night. Now look at verse 31. Something Jesus says he never said in his entire life and ministry. When he had gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. When the spirit of mammon leaves God's children, that's the only time God is glorified in their life. Still then, we are glorifying mammon and self. That's our problem. That's our problem. No. 
That is why all these big time prosperity preachers need that setting. And that costumes. I always use this costume. Brothers from abroad who are listening, I'm not talking about drama costume, but they're dressed like that. The costumes. Why they need that setting? Because this is mammon and the world. So they have to put this picture across. The only time or the first time Jesus actually says, now when he, look at the construction. So, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. One, mammon has left and the fellow who took mammon is gone to betray me. Now he will betray me and in his betrayal I will die and I will be glorified and God's work will be completed. So for God's work to be completed in Jesus Christ, the fellow who loved mammon had to be there. So please understand its ramifications. For the church of Christ, the bride of Christ to be glorified, this other church also has to arise. And that church will betray this. And that's what he was talking about, the betrayal in the end. The very ones who love mammon in your families will hate you and betray you because you refuse to be compromised. The very church which loves mammon will betray you because they refuse to be compromised. So what happened to Jesus will happen to its body too. And that's when the body gets glorified. Because the head and the body gets together glorified. Because the world is run on mammon. The kingdom of God is run on faith and in grace. So be prepared for these things. Be prepared for these things. The second deception. Jesus warned about deception. Second deception God's children needs to be. One is using faith to mammon, to grace, to licentious. World, gone. The other is the other one. And if you are not touched by mammon, you know, you know about mammon, you got your training very well, so you are very, very righteous. Okay, you are very careful about mammon. <clears throat> Remember, yesterday, we our two, two days back we had talked about, let's go to Matthew. Seven, thirteen, and fourteen. Matthew seven, yeah. Just see thirteen and fourteen. Yeah, Matthew seven. Yeah, enter by the narrow gate. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, there are few who find it. Okay, very few who find it. He says very few find it. Very few. There are few who find it. So this way is very narrow and very few find it. Please understand this. Very few find it. I didn't say it. He said it. Okay, Because on both sides are trapdoors. One is that grace becomes licentious. And then this side there is another will take you back to the law. And you have to skirt very, 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 very narrowly. Very carefully, very wisely. The way of life is only one way. The just shall live by faith. And it is faith unto faith. So what does the, the, the enemy do? If he sees a guy or a man will not go into the world, so Satan has a second fold of attack, second line of attack. Look at Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. And look, focus on one word, 2.19. While they promise them what? Liberty. 
The key word is this, liberty. Key word is liberty. Every preacher who comes, including me, will always promise you liberty. Because that's what people are all looking for. Liberty, freedom. So we are also preaching freedom. Liberty in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this storm, how we can be free. And that freedom is only, we say, found in Christ. And walk by faith, hear and do what you have to do in the midst of your pandemic, you can still be free. Liberty is what guy Christ came to. So the key word over there is, they promise liberty. Whether you go on to this side or that side, the key is liberty. But true liberty, the Bible says, is only found in one place. In Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay? There is liberty. The minutes you hear the voice of God, and understand from scripture it is God who is speaking and you obey, you are free inside. Liberty is inside. Primarily it is inside. You are free. Not only that, you keep on hearing. I said on uh, Sunday, right? You hear and you keep on hearing. There's a walk of faith. The walk of faith, you have to keep on hearing. Keep on hearing. Okay? You have to keep on hearing. What does, what does scripture say? Verse 18, we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. Translate it like as you hear and as you walk and as you be, you're moving from liberty to liberty to liberty to liberty. That's the glory of the new covenant walk. You're experiencing more and more. The situation outside is becoming worse and worse and worse and worse. But you're actually inside becoming more and more and more and more free. Okay? More and more and more free. That is liberty. But watch out for liberty killers. In Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a whale lies on their heart. So if law came through Moses and grace and truth came to Jesus Christ and we have come to the truth, okay, what are these people doing? They are taking you back under the whale. Now when I came in, I could see clearly. Now if I put this whale over my face, my clarity is gone. That is what is happening to people who are being taken from truth to the law. From the substance to the shadows. Very subtle, it's very subtle, but it's a big teaching all over the world. Very big teaching all over the world. And we saw that in Galatians chapter 5 and, and we have to guard our heart too because we preach the truth, people should not ever think we are legalistic. Because the problem with the law and the truth both come from the same book. But one kills, the other gives life. Therefore, when you present the truth, you have to be very, very, very careful. Because Jesus and the Pharisees read from the same book. But the way presented it was two different things. One brought death, the other brought life. In Galatians chapter 5, 1 and 2, we saw that. Yeah, Galatians 5, 1 and 2. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of... What is the yoke of bondage he's talking about? The law. 
The yoke of bondage. The law was the yoke of bondage. Okay, that's why he brings circumcision over there. The yoke of bondage is the law. Be very careful somebody does not take you back to the, the law. Because the law makes you feel very good. The law makes you like there's a whole circle in around the world in different languages where they have gone gone back to the law. They're believers, gone back to the law, and they celebrate all the feasts of the Jews. Which is easier, to celebrate uh, Passover outwardly, or is it easier to celebrate Passover every day in your conscience? Outwardly. It's easy. The other one is difficult. So they're showing them an easy way and saying there is liberty there. That's what happened to the Catholic Church. Which is easy to confess to God and allow the Holy Spirit to speak or go to the priest every week. Which is easy to study the word, read the word, hear the word and go to God through Jesus Christ, the only mediator, or put 500 saints around and pick your saint. This is for the hopeless, this is the second hopeless, this is for miracle, this is for the seafarer, this is for uh, epidemic. There is one, that's where they go. Now the bishops and all are going to the one saint for epidemics. What difference is that in between other religions? See how easy it made it for God? Did they make it for people? The trap to which people are caught. And what are they promising? Liberty. Everybody is promising liberty. And these people will talk a lot about, no? These people who teach this will talk about visions and dreams and angelic visitation and all. But in Galatians chapter 1, Paul warned this in verse 6 to 8. What did he say? I marvel you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ. What did he call you into? Not the law of Moses. But the grace of Christ. To a different gospel. Which is not another. Meaning it is not even a gospel he is saying. They are calling it a different gospel and calling it gospel. But I am telling you it is not gospel. Gospel means good news. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And all these people will talk about angels. All the time they will talk about angels. Please don't think if you preach the law, you don't preach tribulation. They preach tribulation. They all preach tribulation and judgments and everything. But the answer to tribulation and judgment is, go even more under the law. Go into the minute details of the law, so that he can escape God's judgment. And they will start from Exodus 15-26. You don't have to go there. If you listen to my words and do all these things, then I all the plagues that I brought upon Israel, Egypt, I will not bring upon you. Can anybody keep it? And did anybody escape any plague or receive any healing in the Old Testament because they kept the law? No. It is because they looked unto Christ and asked by faith by mercy and they received it. Because in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when God looked, he saw that the law was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And when you looked at the complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross and believed it and cried out for mercy, you received your healing. Whether you were a Gentile like Naman or a believer under the Old Covenant. It didn't matter. 
You have to understand the traps that are being set. Why I am saying this? Because there are a thousand channels that beam all these things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 and 4, this is what Paul is saying. Deception. I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that it is in Christ Jesus. For he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached. Or if you receive a another spirit, which you have not received. A different gospel, which you have not accepted. They use the name of Christ, it's a different Christ. They use the term, we are preaching the good news, but it is not the good news. They say, receive the Holy Spirit, but the spirit you are receiving is the spirit of this world, not the spirit of the world. You have to be very, very, very warnings and warnings and warnings and warnings. So if you have to endure the world where evil will reign and the deception that will be beamed upon God's children who listen to the word, Outside and inside, God says, endure. That's what this lockdown is for God's people. Sit and listen. Here, 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 here. Paul wants in his final epistle, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. I charge you therefore, he's saying, I charge you therefore before God. Can you imagine? This is Paul telling Timothy. I mean, if I were to tell that to Vijay, Pastor Vijay, he will get scared. If I were to tell him, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He's bringing judgment over there. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Meaning, even you have to teach the same thing over and over and over for two hours every day for the next 21 hours with long suffering. Teach. Why? Verse 3. For time will come when they will not. This one thing they will not endure. God says you have to endure till the end. One of the things you have to endure is sound doctrine. Because all the teaching of the enemy aimed at the church is against sound doctrine. Against sound doctrine. A time will come they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves. So everybody has their favorite teacher on TV, uh, television. That man is not accountable to anybody. Anybody. And there are people in GTC, our own church, while this is going on, they are not listening. How do I know? Because when the message is going, they are sending forwards. That's how I know. You can't be listening and forwarding at the same time. But you have to say, and people all around the world, so many are logging in and listening. What happened to? Because they are not able to endure sound doctrine. They are not able to endure teaching. And this is what Bible, the Bible is talking about. So Paul is warning. Peter is warning. James is warning. Jude is warning. Everybody is warning. Judgment is coming. Judgment will come. Judgment will come. Endure, endure, endure. Be very, 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 very careful about this. This is the reason we are coming. So when God's children hear about judgment, please remember, remember, everyone God receives as a son or a daughter, he disciplines. And if you don't step one discipline, he goes to step two, that is called scourging. 
The scourging is like what Jesus got from the Roman whip, meaning he will put you through the ringer because you are your child. He wants you to share in your righteousness. Otherwise, you will be disqualified and maybe even go to perdition. <coughs> so you need to understand. <coughs> John was the apostle who knew Jesus best on earth, closest, leaned on Jesus, very, very close. He was a young, young, young man then. But when he saw Jesus Christ in the island of Patmos in his vision, he was, he was overwhelmed. Remember he had walked with Jesus for three and a half years and he was very close to Jesus. One of the one not a close three. He had just seen Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration too in his glory. Post-resurrection he had seen Jesus for off and on for 40 days. But in Revelation 1, verse 12 onwards, when he sees Jesus as he is, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Yeah, continue. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters. In his right hand were seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp to a sword, and his countenance was like sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This is Jesus. Whom John sees. Okay? Remember, this is what happened to Paul also. He just fell like one dead over there. Why I'm saying is that because today if you watch internet and YouTube and see these Christian news, all this thing, so many people of so many cultures and so many languages will talk about uh, seeing Jesus. How Jesus they saw and Jesus came and sat with them and all, no? And I'm not saying Jesus, you don't see Jesus. I, I will not negate anything that is already there in the Bible. That's not my business to tell God how to do. My question is that if somebody has seen Jesus, okay, post ascension, if somebody has seen Jesus, there are two people in the Bible post ascension who saw Jesus after he ascended. One was Paul, the other was John. Both fell like one dead. And these people don't fall dead. They have coffee with Jesus. I, I'm not saying that you cannot, I, I'm not saying you cannot see Jesus. I'm not saying. But I look to scripture always. If you saw the Jesus and that the Jesus was the Jesus of the scripture, then your reaction would be this. Your reaction would be this. And I don't see your reaction. So I'm not after that, whatever you say, I'm going to take it with a pinch of salt. Remember yesterday we saw yesterday for yesterday, we have forgotten so many days and hours of teaching, right? Jesus sitting in the white, great white throne, and heaven and earth fled from his sight. That's Jesus. So don't take it lightly. Okay? And Revelation is all about judgments. The whole book is about judgments. Okay? And he doesn't judge the world. First chapter 2 and 3 is he's only with the church. In Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, 
What does Paul say? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or so. There are only two categories of deeds God accepts, good or bad. Not neutral. Good or bad. All of us, before the judgments, this is talking to the believers. Okay, Unbelievers, it's a different judgment altogether. All of us will appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and give an account of all our deeds. This is Paul. You know what the next verse is? Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Knowing therefore the This is Paul. Who went to heaven? To the third heaven in the spirit. Very close heard things that could not be uttered. And doesn't come back and said he had coffee with Jesus. He had a vision. He saw and he's saying, you know, knowing the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. But we are well known to God. He says, don't think God does not know us. We are well known to God. But we know God also well. And you know what the reaction in us when we think about judgment? It is terror. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So in one Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, 18, Jesus tells John, don't be afraid. Okay? When I saw him, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am who lives, who is dead. Behold, I am alive forever. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. He says, you know what? Don't be afraid. And he introduced himself as the absolute, complete, total victor. Won everything. You don't have to be afraid of me. Let's go to verse 19 to 20 now. Let us look at what Jesus says. Because we need to also tell the people, why are we taking this effort, teaching five hours a day, every day? Now it's ten days. Right? Three languages. Soon Telugu also will come. Looking at you, Pastor Vijay, Telugu also will come. So it will be four languages. Don't ask me to preach in Malayalam. But there are plenty of preachers in Kerala. No need at all. Tough ones. Really, really tough ones. Okay? Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place. So the book of Revelation is threefold. Please understand. Things which are, which you have seen, the things which are, the things that will take place. Please be very, very careful. Okay? It's, it's different. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. If you look at the word angel over there, it is one word used as angel which is not used as angel anywhere in the Bible. It's used the term which is used for minister or pastor. The seven stars are the seven pastors of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So he says the pastors and the churches, the shepherds and the churches. This is a mystery. So God says, you know what? I hold the church and the shepherd in my right hand. That's what he's saying. I hold them. In my right hand. Okay? That's what he's saying. Now, if you read very, very carefully, after that, he will begin with the churches. It has a fourfold application. Local, 
addressed locally to the churches. That is the church of Ephesus first. Address as admonition to all churches, all time. Okay? Address to every individual in that church and every individual, all time. How do you know? He who has ears. So it's an individual. Pastor of that church, church of that time. Pastors of churches and churches of all time. And every individual then and every individual now. Okay. And second, the fourth one, there is a prophetic pattern. History repeats itself. What happened in Ephesus has been repeating in history. So it's a fourfold application. Please be very, very careful. And the Bible says, he's standing in the midst of it all, of the churches. Why is this important? It's because God's primary concern, primary, is the church. The church of Christ, not the world. That's why we should not read what is happening in the world with the same eyes. God could be telling something completely different to the world if they can read and hear. And completely something else to the church. Because his concern is the church. Because what does the word church itself mean? Ecclesia. Somebody who has come out of the world. See, the world is here. And somebody has come out of the world. But something is happening over both it, it does, it's, the message is not the same. The message is different. So people have to learn to read the message differently. Don't sit in the world and read it. Okay? Like, if I were to preach to the world, I have only one message to the world. God loves you. He loves you so much. He gave His only begotten Son for you. Repent, believe and be baptized. I have no other message for people. Okay? Even if there is healing, it is just a sign of His salvation receives. Now you got healed, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because the healing on your body is a sign of the healing you can receive in your soul. Everything that does is basically, that's why Jesus said these are all signs. The signs are following to the big work. So finally when they kept on asking for signs, he said, enough, I'll give you only one sign, the sign of Jonah. And if you believe in that sign, you don't need any more sign. Then signs will follow you. Okay? So what he is telling the church, what he is telling the world is different. So to the world, I have only one message. And we should only have a message. That is a message of salvation. The rest, it's all for the church. The question is, how can you say that, Pastor? The question is, can I go outside Jesus? Let us look at Jesus, okay? Jesus praying to his father. Because please understand the purpose of salvation. I am the way, the truth and the life. Don't stop there. Don't stop there. We all stop there. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the... So what is the way of? He is the way that takes us to the destination. His father way is Jesus Christ. That is why at the end he will subdue all the kingdoms and then give it to his father. Understand, destination is the father. In Revelation 21, you see what you see is not Jesus Christ. It is the Father coming down and wiping everybody's tears and saying, Now I am your Father, you are my children. So Jesus has fulfilled his purpose. The Father has got all his children. And Jesus is the eldest one. In 21, what you see first is the Father. Okay? 
Flows don't forget. He didn't say pray in my name, but pray to your father. I'm going to your father and my father and your father. The whole thing is about the father and the son is doing the father's work. And this is, he knows the heart of the father. The father loves his children. He wants to take us all to the father. So don't forget, even you just stay with Jesus alone, he gets hurt. Because he said, I love you, you love me, but you know my whole purpose was to take you to the father. You know the father through me. Okay? The whole thing is about, actually is about the father. So Jesus is praying to his father in John chapter 17 and verse 6. First thing he says, I have manifested your name to the men you have given me out of the world. You see, very clearly, you gave me this 11 people. Daddy, you gave me this 11. And I have manifested your name to them. They are yours. Though he called, he says, I didn't call you. You called them through me. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Woo! Look at that. Look at that one loaded statement. Lord, that's what I'm saying. This is the life of faith. Jesus is telling us, this is how I walked on earth. When I walked on earth, I was not living my life. I was living my father's life. My father lived through me. How do you know? Because I heard, I believed, I obeyed, and I received that grace for that day. So the word was his, the power was his, only the body was mine. Therefore, everything is his. And that's the only life God will accept. Not the life under the law or the life of the carnal of the, of the world. He will not accept it both. Okay, and then you come to verse 9. Verse 9. I pray for them. I pray, but I do not. I do not pray for the world. How unkind. It's not fair. I do not pray for the world. But for those you have given me, for they are yours. I don't pray for the world. That's why we pray for the peace of the world, so that we can preach. Pray for the leader, this thing and all. But look at why they say that you should preach. Read scripture carefully so that we may have peace. Why do we need peace to preach the gospel? That's the only purpose. Get them all in. We have no other purpose here. Okay. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. But for those you have given me, they are yours. And if you come to verse 20. One more thing he adds, and he includes all of us into it. I do not pray for these alone, these 11 who are here. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he prayed for us also. He's still praying for us. Okay. He makes intercession forever. So he's making intercession. You, do, you know that in heaven, Jesus still doesn't pray for the world? He still doesn't pray for the world. He doesn't. He only prays for his church. Doesn't pray for anybody there. He only prays for them. Only thing that he knows from the end, from the beginning, who will get saved tomorrow and day after tomorrow, and he knows that. But he only prays for the for the church. He doesn't pray for the world. So the church has to read and see everything differently. And that's what we are trying to do in these ten days and the coming days is trying to get us to move further in Jesus. Get to know the Father. Get to know the ways of God. Get to understand the Father. Get to understand God's order. Okay. The question I ask you is, remember Revelation chapter 1? Hmm? Yeah, we don't have to go there. But we saw the shepherd and the church. 
The message is given to them, right? Apostle is given. Apostle is given to his apostle, last surviving apostle, who gives it to the shepherd and to the church. It's not given to a televangelist. It is not given to a Christian organization. What if you did not belong to a church? Imagine you were, when this letter actually is written down and the seven pastors come to Patmos to visit John and he gives them all a scroll and you did not attend Ephesus church, but I am a believer, I don't have to go to church. You would have never got the warning. You would have never got the warning. You would have never got the warning. Even if you if it was a Faltu church like Laodicea, even if you still attended and this letter reached there, you would have got your warning. We have to understand why we talk about church because there are a lot of people who never. I'm, I'm talking about not talking to people who can go to church and don't go to church. I'm not talking about many brothers who are listening. I know God will speak to you directly because you cannot go to church. You go to church, you will get killed. I'm not talking to you. That's extraordinary cases. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the others. You know, this is the issue. So every shepherd also needs to be tuned in. Every shepherd needs to be tuned in. And every person in the church also needs to be tuned in, especially to your shepherd, what he is speaking. Okay. God has its own order. First of all, apostles. Only one apostle is left. Even though he is the only one left and he is very old and tottering, still I will go through him. I go through him. The final word will come through the final apostle living. and comes through him and give it to the shepherds. Give it to the shepherds. God doesn't change order. His order is very, very important. He will not change his order. That is his God. That's why people have to understand God, there is order in his courts. He does not break his order. Okay? So every Every shepherd must be like Noah. Hebrews 11 and verse 7. Should be like Noah. By faith Noah, he is a shepherd. A shepherd of his family, because that was his church. Being divinely warned. Yesterday or day for yesterday we said, no, every one of them heard. What if they hadn't heard? Noah found grace in God's sight. What is, the ex- what is the proof that he found grace in God's time? He heard about the judgment. That's a proof of t- uh, finding grace. Right? Judgment is coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham heard. Lot did not hear. Abraham heard. God said, can I do this without telling Abraham? He told. Judgment was coming upon Egypt. Mo- Moses heard. Moses heard. Okay. If you don't hear... What will you build? What will you build? So the church in Ephesus is getting a letter. As soon as the shepherd gets a letter, he's got the warning. My construction is good. Only one area is not right. I need to fix this. God has said, this is good, 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 this is good. But the door which you came in Rambar in the beginning, that door is gone. Now go back and fix that door. So he heard. So he could put it right if he wanted to. And encourage the people to put it right if they were willing. So Noah heard, divinely want of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. That's what is missing. Okay. Paul fell off his horse, blinded for three days. 
John was so close to Jesus, fell on his face like one dead. Noah moved with godly fear. What did he do? Not fear of people or applause of people, but fear of God. And he built. What is the purpose of his building? He built it for the saving of his household. Now the church is God's household. That's what we are building. We are building something which save God's household from the judgment that will come. We have to be very, very careful that when the judgments come, people's, God's children are, are saved. Let's leave the other side, okay? Other part of it is a different message altogether. Now, John heard. If you hear, go back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 14 to 16. incredible, specific, clear instructions are being given. If you read the seven letters to seven churches, the churches are all, all the instructions are all different. Common words are there, common challenges are there, but instructions are all different. Now I heard very clearly. Make yourself an ark, not a house, not a castle, not a palace, not a convention center. Make a ark. Of teak wood, redwood, if you like good smell, sandalwood. No. Gopherwood. Did you see? God is giving specific instructions. And it is so important that Noah hears clearly. And don't make it into one big large hall. Make rooms in the ark. It's telling very clearly, rooms in the ark. I mean, this is not connected with what I'm talking about, how clear the instructions are, how clearly he has to hear. And cover it inside and outside with pitch. You have heard it over and over again. And this is how you shall make it. Length is given. 300 cubits. Width is given. 50 cubits. Height is given. 30 cubits. And then further. And you shall make a window for the ark. Everything is given. You shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side and you shall make it with lower, second and third. Everything he said. He said you shall do it alike. There shall be a door. And you know what he says? You know what? You shall have a lower deck, middle deck and it's a three-story building. And he says when you put this thing up, 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 up till the top, one cubit. Then you leave a gap over there. Leave a gap at the top. Everything is very, very, very clear. Absolutely clear. Now the question is, we are building an ark. A spiritual ark. Seven times in that seven letters, Jesus tells the shepherds, and through the shepherds to the people, repent, 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 repent. Each one of them is asked to, no, I think he tells five churches, not seven churches. Five churches, he tells them to repent. And repent different things. Unless we hear, what will we know what to repent about? That's why we come to the hearing of the word of God. So that we hear, we repent, and you're even more sanctified. And then seven times he tells something. That is a scary part. I know your works. Imagine God comes and says, Raj, I know your works. Russian, I know your works. 
Sami, I know your works. Vijay, I know your works. That's what it's like. I know your works. There is no argument with those kind of statements. I know your works. I know your works. Are we hearing clearly? I know your works. Unlike Noah's Ark, this is a spiritual entity. It's a spiritual entity. Unlike Noah's Ark, in Noah's Ark, animals got in. In the church, men and women and children get in. Those who have free will. Unlike animals. It's easier to get an animal into the church than to get a man into the church. And keep him there. Genesis 7. And verse 7. And then verse 10. Noah with his sons, his wife and his sons' wives went to the ark because of the waters of the flood. And verse 10. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on. So for seven days the door was open. Okay, seven days. So for a long time God keeps the door of the church open. But the question is, spiritually, can you keep inside? Stay inside the ark all the days the doors are open. And not step out. Physically, I'm not talking about that. It's not a physical. Like physically, now government has shut everybody in. I'm saying, spiritually, can you stay in the body of Christ without stepping out? Door is open. The door was open for seven days. It was not closed for only on the seventh day, just before judgment, God shut it. And they were all animals. Animals are not going to go out. They listen. They listen to God always. The question is, we have free will. Can we stay in? Verse 16 of chapter 6. Six sixteen. Shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from the above. And set the door of the ark in its side, and you shall make it with lower, second, and third. So there are three decks, lower deck, second floor, and third floor. The question is, there's only one door, and there is one window at the one, like before one cubit up, there is one window, and there is one door at the bottom, and there are three stories. God only said, get in. You still have the freedom to choose where you want to be. Where you want to be in the ark. It's your freedom. In the house of God. Everything comes in threes. The temple also had three places. Outer courts, holy place, most holy place. God also divides the church into children, young men and fathers. God is not stopping anybody. So you can. The question is, are we going up? Outer courts, holy place, most holy place. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 6, 18 to 20, actually there is only one place which is absolutely safe. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuse to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the Where do you go? Yeah. Where do you go? You go and lay hold of Jesus who is seated in the Holy of Holies. There is only actual absolute security only in one place. Not in the first deck 
or the second deck is in the third deck. Where is Noah? Third deck. Where is Jesus? In the third deck. In the most holy place. He says that's the actual place. And I haven't stopped anybody. You can choose. Now that you are in, you can choose. The door is still open. It's not shut yet. The age of grace is still not over. So you can still go out of grace. You can fail grace, short of grace, leave grace and walk away. The door is still open. God hasn't shut the door yet. One day at the blowing of the trumpet, the door is shut all over and will go. Door is not shut yet. But he says it's only one place which is very, very safe. That is where Moses is. Sorry, Noah is. That was what, what Pastor Vijay was preaching today in the morning, if you understood. Let's go to what Pastor Vijay preached, Exodus 24, 12 and 13. Yeah, what you preached today, 12 and 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone, the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. And verse 13 says, Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. You heard, wait, I don't have to go into anything. Moses arose with Joshua. Now Joshua had separated from the crowd. That was his choice. So, but you need to realize, seeing and hearing is not the same. Please understand. That's why we don't have big visual multicolored screens and all that, because it can mess up your hearing. Too big a TV can mess up your hearing, because your eyes will take over. Faith comes from hearing, and not always from seeing. Now go to scripture very carefully. Exodus 24, verse 1. And two. Exodus 24. He said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come up near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. Okay. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders. So how many of them are going up actually? 74. And Joshua is not even mentioned there. Still Joshua went. Because a point had come that God was not seeing Joshua separately from Moses. He even doesn't have to mention his name separately. The tutor and the pupil have become one. So he's not mentioned separately. Okay? Have become one. Okay? The tutor is Moses, the pupil is Joshua. Guru and Sishya become one. But he says, bring Aaron, bring his two sons, Okay, these are the guys who will die later. And bring the 70 elders. So 75 people are going up. Okay, and you don't see Moses, Joshua, because Joshua is like Moses' shadow. Verse 9 to 11. Interesting part. Nine to eleven. Then Moses went up, also Aaron. Nadab, Abihu, 70 of the elders of Israel. 74 plus 1. One is missing. Okay, is there, but may not mention. And they saw the God of Israel. They saw. And there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone. It was like the very heavens in its clarity. So they had a vision of God. And on the nobles of the children of Israel. Yeah. Yeah, which is true. 
9 and uh, verse 10, they saw. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hands. So they ate, they saw God, they ate and they drank. They did not die. So he, like he knows how to decrease his glory and bring it to the level we don't die. Okay. He's a father. It's a good, even when a father spacks his child, he does it in a way that's a pain but doesn't kill. Okay. Unless, of course, he's drunk. They did not. They saw, they ate, they drank, they didn't die. Now come to verse 15 to 18. Then Moses went up to the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. But the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. Okay, now a further separation is taking place. Now he goes up higher. And the cloud covers and covers the mountain and covers Moses. They can't see Moses anymore. And he is in the cloud for six days. And only on the seventh day God speaks to him. In six days was absolute silence. God didn't speak to him at all. But he sat there for six days. Can we sit like that to hear from God? Okay. Six days. Meditating, studying, meditating, studying. That's the guy like Daniel fasting for 21 days to get one answer from scripture. Now the glory of God rested on the Mount Sinai covered and on the seventh day he spoke. He called to Moses yeah, out of the midst of the cloud. On the seventh day, God spoke. From the time God speaks, that is, chapter 25 will begin. Okay, this is chapter 24. 25 to 31. It's all about how the temple should be built. Detail, 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 minute, minute, detail, and the law is also being given. 25 to 31. God spoke. After six days of silence, God spoke. Okay? Earlier six days of creation, God rested on the seventh day. First he makes man sit silent for six days and on the seventh day he tells him how I am going to build my temple because that creation is bigger than all of God's creation because a temple is an image of the people God will have for himself one day. Okay? Seven days, seventh day. So you have 35, 36 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, all these chapters goes all the way till 31. Building the temple. Intricacies of everything inside. And let's go to chapter 32, verses 1 to 4. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron. The question is, how did they? Did they climb the mountain or these guys came down? So they didn't endure. They didn't endure. It's a problem. You can eat, you can drink, you can see. But you haven't heard, you don't endure. Till you hear, you don't endure. They haven't heard. God spoke to Moses. They came down. And they told Aaron, come make us gods that shall go before us. As far as this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said, break up the gold. And we know that. Right? Make it up. 
Nee meldeko, you go further down, you bring all your gold, everything, chapter 3, verse 3. He broke a bread, he fashioned it with a four engraving tool, made a molded calf, and they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is the problem of people who say they have seen God, but haven't heard from God. They make God in the images of what the people want. They haven't sat still before God and waited until they have heard and have not moved. This is the difference that God is talking to us about. When you speak about me, you be very sure you know what you are speaking about. That you will change my image. You will change who I am. You will change Christ. You will change the gospel. You will change the church. You will change everything. Did Aaron and gang endure? No. The 70 elders endure? No. Did Nadab and Abihu endure? No. That's why we keep on telling, hear God and press on, press on, press on, press on, press on. Now how many chapters are there in the book of Revelation? 22. You know how many times the word hear or heard is used? 45 times. And one of the final words in Revelation 22, verse 17. 22, 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Down on earth, let him who? Say, come. Okay. Here, it's a combination. It's an incredible combination, okay? So now there is total mayhem in the camp. Absolute mayhem in the camp. Go to verse 17 and 18 of verse 32. Now you will see again the difference. They are coming down. Running down, rushing down. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, no, it's not the noise of shout of victory, nor the noise of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. How come they both heard differently? Now, Guru Shishya, there is a difference. Shishya saying it's war. Guru saying, no, it's revelry. How did he know? Go to verse 7. God said to Moses, go get down for your people whom you brought of the land of Egypt have corrupted. How did he know? Without anything, he know. God told him. So people may be jumping and dancing in the church. If the shepherd knows, he is healed, God will tell him. That's all flesh. Don't even ignore it. Preach a tough word today. It's all flesh. It's simply jumping and dancing. Nothing has changed in their lives. Don't change your message looking at their jumping and dancing. You know the difference? Joshua got it wrong. He endured. He endured. He stood there. He didn't come down and go with the people and make a golden calf or anything. But still, he did not endure the way Moses endured simply because he did not hear from God. Moses heard from God. Joshua interpreted it with his own ears and eyes. That is why it is so important. In the day, in the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And I, why didn't the pastor of Ephesus or Pergamum or Smyrna or Sardis or Philadelphia or La- how come they didn't hear? 
Only one man was in the spirit. And God had to speak to him so that he could speak to them. So they were all shepherds and God was still holding them in his right hand. The man and the church is being held in the right hand, but God had to find an old man who could hear. Do you understand the importance of hearing? That's what God is talking about. Do we hear? No. That's what God is talking about. I know your works. He's telling the church, I know your works. Remember? The works that he had created for us even before the foundation of the world. And Romans 14.23 He who doubts it's condemned if he eats. Because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is what is the life you are called to do? Life of faith. Just shall walk by. Faith comes from hearing. It's only one way. Faith comes from hearing. And whatever is not of faith is sin. And faith understands. Faith understands the purpose of redemption. Faith understands the purpose of redemption. Do we understand the purpose of redemption? Paul puts it most beautifully. Right now we are all shut in. So we are not doing anything outside. So we are allowing God to do a work within us. But does faith understand? Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Paul understands the work of the ministry within the body. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You may have come as a harlot. Does not matter. Christ will sanctify you, sanctify you, sanctify you, sanctify you, and one day present to you. The ministry of the church should present every harlot, male and female harlots, who got saved from the world, because we were harlots with the world. Brought in, present as a chaste virgin to Christ Jesus. This is the purpose within the church. Outside is a different story. Inside the church, the work that God is doing in us is this. The purpose of redemption. In Ephesians chapter 5 verses 23 to 27. Twenty-three to twenty-seven. For the husband is the head of the wife; he is also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject, okay, yeah, yeah, uh, twenty-five on what? Husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify, cleanse her with washing of water by the word. That he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot, wrinkle, any such thing. But she should be holy without blemish. For what? For what? The key is verse 27. That he might present her to himself. It's not like today's weddings. Today's weddings, the bride gets ready, 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 ready. Everything is for the people and the camera. Not for the man she's getting married to. It's all for the camera. Half the men are happy, even if you come in your night, you marry me, I am okay. Can I have a cup of chai and a biscuit and send all these people home? I am marrying you. No. What will people think? But Jesus is a different bridegroom. 
He is polishing, 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 polishing the bride, getting the bride ready, getting the bride, no wrinkle, no spot, blemishless, all this for what? So that he can present her to. Not only he redeemed her, he gets her ready to. For what? To present herself to. Does the church understand the purpose of redemption? How will we make use of these 21 days? For himself. This is the key for himself. Otherwise you will hear all this word that is being preached and apply it for yourself. That's the problem. The prosperity work preachers, these preachers preach the word of faith so that you will use faith and spend it on yourself. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have a big car. For who? God wants a car? You will have a big house. For who? Christ wants a big house? If he gives you a good house, stay in it. That's not the point. What are you asking for? What are you preparing for? Who are you preparing for? Who are you preparing for? And Paul says, I want to present the church as a chaste, pure, undefiled. We came as defiled. He says, I, God can make you undefiled. Constantly. Go to Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 to 15. Proper use of grace. Chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Second, uh, yeah. Titus, chapter 2. You went to Ephesians. Titus 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's what everybody preaches, right? What does grace teach us? Teaches us, no, no, when you do youth conferences and all, you have to make them all shout together. What does the grace tell you? No! If you can say yes to Sachin, you can say no to these things, right? No to ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. While we wait for... What are you doing? Why are we doing all this? Because you have this incredible hope, which is a blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great and savior, God and savior. So all these things you will do only if that is your hope and that's what you're waiting for. You know, other people will say, Lord, please tell this epidemic away. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify. Huh? Purify for what? Not for ourselves, for himself. For himself. A people that are his very own. Eager to do what is good. For himself. We have to get the idea of the bridegroom. And we have to get that heart of that ability. This is what my husband wants. This is what my spouse wants. So that it is work that he is doing in us. And there is a work that he is doing outside. For himself. That's why God has given the church a force. Given up. You're talking about judgment, 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 judgment. It's true, it's one of the judgments of God. But do you have any idea how the Old Testament prophets saw judgment? Joel chapter 2. The book of Joel. Chapter 2. Verses 12 to 17. Do you know how they saw the day of the Lord and to prepare for it? Now therefore says the Lord, 
Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. If, if you think really judgment is coming, and this is one of the harbingers, then this is how you need to turn to me. Rent your heart, not your garments. Return to your, the Lord your God, for he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. How? Who knows if you'll turn and relent and leave a blessing behind, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, and who all are included? Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing, all my Atiras, Evangeline, not excluded. Let the bridegroom go out of his. That's why all shadis are cancelled. Bridegroom go out of his. And the bride from her dressing. All beauty parlors closed. You understand? Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. That's why all services cancelled. Please get into your chambers and weep. Servants of God, did you prepare your people for a time and a day like this? If not, get in and start weeping before God. If you are preaching a sloppy message, preparing people for the world, and did not prepare them for a day of judgment, now you see a symbol, a sign of judgment, what can happen to a whole world with one little thing God can bring a world to a standstill. Do you know what is going to coming? Did you prepare your people for that? If not, get in and cry. What should you cry? Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. The nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? Let's see. Okay. You see these prophets in the Old Testament? This was to be the response. So why are we closeted on day 10? Morning and evening. Preparing your people for God. We will not change the message. Our message will not change. It cannot change. I know your works. Only God knows our works. But we should hear him speak. That's why we should saturate ourselves with the word. God is truth. and It must become a fact and a reality. That's why he said, five times to the church, repent, repent, repent. Two churches, he did not say repent. One to Pagamam, the other one is Philadelphia. To Pergamum, he said, you are poor, but you are rich. To Philadelphia, he said, you are weak, but you are strong. Yet, the two churches, he did not say repent. His response to the actual core issue they are facing was completely different. In Revelation 2, verse 10, this is what he tells Pergamum. The good churches, nothing negative. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You may have tribulation ten days, but be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. What does he say? Endure and die. So some churches during this epidemic, God may be saying you, I have tested your works, you are good, you are cool, I am very happy with you, but die. And come through. Die. Ten days. 21 days. But if you die in this pandemic, don't think it is judgment. Think it as, I have approved you. You have endured until death. I'm not going to release you from this. Come through. Stand still your last breath. And come through. 
you have endured. To the other church, exactly the opposite. Chapter 3, verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, which is again endured, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. The hour of trial has come upon the whole world, but you will not die. Because you also endured. Leave it to the autonomy and sovereignty of God how to deal and how to speak to our situations. It is not my call or your call. Some may die, some may live. Don't judge them. Both may be equally sanctified. Both may have endured equally. It's not ours to say. It's not ours to decide. It's God to decide. So if somebody dies through the pandemic, oh, that pastor died. Poor man must have been sinner. God said, shut your mouth. You don't know his works. I know his works. Another may come through untouched. Okay? God says, I know his works. Two groups endured. Both endured. What did Jesus say? You have to endure till the end. That is why it is so important to hear because it is not one size fits all. It is not one size fits all. He is the savior of the body. The church is the bride of his son. The object of God's affection. And only, only one life is accepted by God. It's a life of faith. Life of faith. In the life of faith, Christ lives through? Christ lives through you. It's very funny, right? You look at it. I'll tell you, okay? Yeah, it's 10 o'clock. We'll close. Very funny things. So, yeah. Who is Jesus? Son of God. Born of the Spirit. The Spirit came upon Mary, and that earth is born. And he got a new body. But he is son of God. Through the Holy Spirit of the Father, he got. Who are we? Born of the? He is male, we are female. Gender wise. Yeah? Father is the same, right? Father is the same. So he is my brother, and yet he is my husband. I am his wife, and I am his sister. Go to Genesis 24 and read verse 12 or 10. Genesis 24. No, 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 She indeed truly is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. She became my wife. Did you do, do you, did you know that Abraham's wife was his sister, actual sister? But the father was the same. You know why he made it? So that we all would have the same father. Terah was the father of Abraham and Terah was the father of Sarah. And they both alone I called. You know what? God does stuff. You never understand why he does stuff like that. Abraham, what's your father's name? Terah. Sarah, what's your father's name? Terah. Jesus, what's your father's name? Yahweh. What's your father's name? Yahweh. Jesus, who are you? The husband. Who are we? Church, the wife. And who is Abraham? The father of believers. 
understand? There are so many things in the Bible. We are just discovering as we go by and realize, oh my God, you are really the ancient of ages. Ancient of days. God of ages. Everything is there. And these men and all didn't know what they were marrying, who they were marrying. Every one of them was a symbol for us to teach us. Teach us. In Isaiah 50 we will say, Abraham and Sarah alone I called. And they were brother and sister. Father was the same. And Jesus and the church are brother and sister. Father is the same. So the sister and the father, brother, have to be equally sanctified. Because the seed is the same father. Understood? Father God, seed is here and seed is here. He says, so be sanctified, 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 so that I can present you to myself. Understand purpose. Don't waste your time, church. GTC Hyderabad especially. Don't waste your time. I still don't know whether all of you are listening or not. But listen. Because at the end of days, when the lockdown is over and we come to church, I will give you a written test. To make sure you heard or not. You will have a test. Okay. If God will test our faith, I will also test you. Because you have no excuse now. Absolutely no excuse. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. Awesome God. Where can we go from you, Lord? How can we even understand, Lord? We don't even know what it means that God loves us. That everything that you do in our lives, even this pandemic, you allowed is because you love your church so much. That through this you want to refine a set of people. So that they can be sanctified and be presented to your son. Help us to see your heart. Then only truly we will be able to always say and sing God is good all the time. In the midst of the pandemic, God is good. In the midst of the darkness, God is good. In the glorious light, God is good. When the lockdown is over, God is good. When everything becomes normal, God is good. Let us not change, Father. According to the ways of the world, continuously change in the ways of your Son. We surrender once again this evening, Lord. Confirm us to the image of your Son. The only image that is acceptable. So that, O oh Lord, as we saw, see in Revelation 21, whole of heaven's eyes will be riveted on the bride that will descend from heaven. And we will hear the voice of the Father like this voice of many seas saying, All arise! For all of creation was waiting for that moment for the bride of your Son to be revealed. And she will come dressed not in white. She will come dressed in glory. Help us to know these truths. And consider like Paul said, all these afflictions as momentary afflictions. Irrelevant, immaterial in the light of this incredible weight of glory. That is coming. Jesus could endure the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And that joy was us. 
Because the only thing you did not have before you went to the cross was the church. Everything else you already had. So you went through the cross for us, the church. That was your joy. And the church should go through all this because the joy that is set before the church is Christ. Help us to see, Father, through eyes of faith. Sing our way through. Pray our way through. Like Jesus himself did 2,000 years ago. Going to Gethsemane. Going to the cross. He sang a few hymns and he went. He went singing, Lord. And Paul understood it, Lord. Silas understood it, Lord. That was why they were singing in the prison. They understood. They understood, Lord. Help us also to understand. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Once again, I speak your strength into your body of Christ. All who are listening, I pray by faith they will have access. They will access the very grace of God. There's nothing greater or better you can give us now. It is the very grace of God. Even to your apostle Paul, you said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul realized how great your grace was. He said, in my weakness, your grace strengthens me. That's what I speak into everybody's life, Lord. By faith, they will access your grace. Come through this epidemic. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. What else can the bride say? But bless your holy name, Lord. Let the bride say everywhere, even in their own homes, little ones and young ones and mothers and fathers rise to their fate and proclaim in their homes, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and Amen. God bless you.